Welcome to the Fitness in Color podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words. You know, when you're back home, you know, every time you got to go to the market or you're, you're going to your neighbor, you're walking to your neighbor's house, you're, do, you're exercising, you're, you're exercising, but you don't really know it. And here, because of the conveniences, you know, you're driving more, you're, you know, you're sitting at the job more like, you know, you lose that ability to move. So I want folks to start to to think about exercise a little bit differently. It, it shouldn't don't think of it as exercise. Just think of it as movement like you. Your body needs movement to be efficient. Your body needs movement to be healthy. And as people of color, we're not moving enough. No, no, no. Kenneth, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Morning, brother. How are you? I'm well, man. I'm well. I wanted to bring you on the show because I recently... Well, not recently, but in the last couple of years, we become aware of each other. I know Rochelle from college, but I think that um, not the first time I've run, that I've that I saw you was when Hermela. I think Hermela did your wedding, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Hermela was also my wedding plan, and then and then I had like reconnected with Rochelle, and so I had met you guys. I think it would have been like one of Hermela's events, and then you know I did the running stuff, and then I found out you were a physical therapist, and I was like, that's dope. I definitely want to talk to you about your journey in becoming a physical therapist, because I don't, honestly, I don't know many black physical therapists. We'll get deeper into that, but there's only 4% out of the, you know, 4% of physical therapists are black. Wow. 4% of physical therapists are black. So that's another space that, wow. Okay. That's a jarring statistic. I probably should have <laughs> looked that up before, but <laughs> that's it's a all, jarring it's, listen, it, it's all good. Yeah. So it, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a space that you know, I'm glad that you have, first of all, I want to say thank you for all that you do and for for actually bringing, you know, bringing what's necessary for people of color, um, whether it's through your running platform and through the podcast, just just bringing it out there and bringing awareness. And so thank you for all you do, man. I know how, much, how hard it is. So I want to start off by saying thank you. And, and we really appreciate you. And want to give you all your roses as much as possible every time I see you, man. So thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. It is hard. It is time consuming, but it's something that I feel really deeply about. And when I wasn't doing it through running and fitness, I was doing it through music and arts. And when I wasn't doing it through music and arts, I was doing it through trying to bring more people, more people of color into the, into the um, corporate world. And it's just something that has just been so close to me for so long. So I think I found what what it is I'm going to be doing for a while, which is you know bringing awareness mm -hmm. to folks like you and 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 folks in our community who are teaching Black people how to be well and, and one with their body. So I appreciate that. Thanks. So tell us tell us what you're doing now, what your role is, what you do. So I am a managing partner for uh, Bay State Physical Therapy. Bay State Physical Therapy. We have over. 70 locations around the Boston area now, also in New Hampshire, Rhode Island. We're a growing brand and, and we're trying to really be the number one physical therapy uh, company out there. And I manage three locations in the Boston area. So one, uh, one inside of the Huntington Ave YMCA, one inside the Whittier Street Health Center, and also one inside the Dimmick Community Health Center as well. I'm very familiar with Whittier 
and I'm familiar with Dimmick and the one in the YMCA, which, where was that again? So it's inside the Huntington Ave YMCA. Okay. You're in the predominantly black spaces, which I, oh. I knew, but it's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. The Huntington Ave location is a little bit different because we're literally right on, we're right on the Northeastern campus. So you get a college, uh, you know, the, the population is very college-ish. And that's actually where Francis came to, uh, to get treated at. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Okay. So part of this podcast is to talk about journeys and a journey to becoming a physical therapy is one that uh, a lot of people should, that I don't know of, right? And I'm also, you know, in, in the wellness space through running. But so I definitely want to chronicle that. So I, I kind of want to get to know who Ken is and go back to who you were as a kid. Where'd you grow up? I know that you're Nigerian. You're also American. And so I want to hear that kind of the, how, how you manage both identities. And then we'll come back to how you got into physical therapy. So does that sound good? That sounds great. So I am 100% Nigerian. Both my, both my parents are Nigerian. I actually was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, we spent one year there. After that, my entire family moved back to Nigeria. So all of my childhood was really in Nigeria. So I came back to the States when I was 11. Oh, wow. Okay. So I spent over 10 years in Nigeria with my family. And when we came back, we came back to Boston. Why Boston? To be honest, my dad, so when we went back to Nigeria, my dad actually, it was hard because my parents basically had four kids at that time, all under four. And it was tough. It, it was tough. They didn't really have any help. It was just them um, in Kansas City. And like, it, it just, it was too much to handle. So my dad thought it was brilliant to just take everyone back home and he'll come back and kind of like work, send us money. And then he ended up in Boston in that process, was sending us money. And then eventually 10 years later, we basically came back and, and joined him. I, I learned the culture. I speak the language. I speak Igbo fluently. So like, you know, my mindset and the normal childhood experience of a normal American, mine is slightly different. I, I'm missing that piece. Do you know, I want to go back. Do you know why Kansas City? Um, that's a great question. Actually, my, uh, my dad had a, he had a student visa to, to actually take classes there. So that's why it was, it was okay. random, but yeah, he had a student yeah. visa to basically take some classes and that's how we ended up at Kansas City. And then he brought my mom up. Okay. Do you remember, how much do you remember being in Nigeria between, you know, up until you were 10 years old? Everything. I, I, yeah, for the most part, I that's my childhood, man. Like, I, yeah, everything for the most part. So how was it? Tell me what you do. You go to school, family, like just, yeah, I'm interested in hearing about that. Um. So we lived in, so we're, we're from a village called Newi, which is in Anambra State. But we actually lived in a town called Enubu. I went to school there. We played soccer a lot, sometimes barefoot. Fucking amazing. It was a quite different, I mean, it's comparing it to the experience here, it's, it's, it's a lot different. And, and also too, the one thing I do really, really love about growing up back home is that there's such a community vibe. So like your neighbors were just as responsible for you like your parents were. Even though my dad was not around, I had a, a neighbor that literally took on that father role and my uncle was always present. So like 
everyone kind of chipped in because they knew my dad wasn't around and I was the only boy with five sisters. The male figures came out from everywhere to kind of support and to fill that void of my dad not being there. I know that experience from the immigrant experience where we, when we all come to this country, you, you know, brothers bring each other, sisters bring each other, family, and you live under a couple of roofs or maybe one roof and the adults are the parents. So it, it takes a village. Right. What I've experienced that the American way is to split folks up and for everyone to kind of have their own, you know, they, they redefine what family is versus right. like in villages in Africa, they, in countries in Africa, they have more of a, it takes a village. Like we are raising these children as all of ours versus like, that's your kids, that's your kids. And so for sure, I love to hear that. Okay, so grew up and then coming to America at 11, moved to Boston. How was that? Tell me about that, that experience. It was quite the transition. It, it really is. You know, that was that was back in the times where um, obviously when I came back, I had an accent. I had, you know, I I had to get adjusted. So like I dressed differently the whole nine. So, you know, I was made fun of, even though I still appreciated my upbringing, even though like at the time Africans were being made fun of in school, like, you know, they'll call you African booty scratcher or this and that at the time. However, I, you know, I, I used, I used my, my self of my self worth for, I took pride in all of, all of who I was. So one thing I, I learned very early on, whether it's through family or just through, you know, experiences growing up, I, I had confidence in who I was. So I didn't really let kids making fun of me impact me that much. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, at the time when we came back, you know, just small things. I was wearing Payless. I went to St. Peter's first on Bowdoin. So my parents put me in St. Peter's. So, you know, I was with a lot of CVs, of course. I was there for about a year. Then I went to St. Patrick's. <laughs> Another Cape Verdean populated school. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. So I went there for a year. And then after that, I went to Phyllis Wheatley, which is no longer in existence. It's over there by Dearborn. Okay but it closed down. Okay. And after that, I went to John D. O'Brien. Okay. Wow. So now St. Peter's is that, so you went middle school. That's three middle schools. That's correct. That's three middle schools That's correct. while trying to adjust to America while also going to school with other Africans and still being made fun of. For sure. It's just the African identity, the black identity is so there's so many different black identities and African identities because you're going to school with Africans That's correct. and you're still being called African booty scratcher. That's correct. You know? and, I, and I know this experience because I went to middle school in Dorchester and I remember those days. And then you end up at John D. O'Brien. Did you play any sports when you got here for, let's say, the middle school years uh, and then into high school? At the Wheatley, they had a track team. So I actually joined the track team and uh, we ran at White Stadium. It was basically the spring version, so we, we ran out White Stadium. It wasn't super organized at the time, but it was enough to kind of like gather a few kids and, and we had a coach. And so I carried that on, did that for a little bit. And then when we went over to, to, to John D. O'Brien, I also joined the track team there and I also played football there as well. Did you pick up football in high school or did you play any Pop Warner or was football the first time you played football was in high school? 
I actually played a brief stint of Pop Warner. I played for the Raiders briefly, but my parents were never really involved. They didn't want me to play any sports, so I had to really hide. It was a neighbor. I actually grew up on Winthrop Street in Roxbury. A neighbor of ours actually got us to play football, and my parents never really knew about it. So I did it, I did it behind their back. Man, I know that experience of hiding things from your parents because... You just wanted to do it. You wanted to do the American thing. For sure. But your African parents wanted you to go to school. It was all about getting getting good grades. I'm sure, For sure. that's exactly what it was in your in your household. That's so funny. I can't even imagine hiding pads and hiding, you know, I, I don't know if your parents would even know what they looked like, what they were for. At the time, Shamel, uh, DJ Real P actually used to live right above me. So like literally, oh, okay. it was him and I and this and this other guy that lived um, next door. Next door to was Kai. So it was easy to kind of basically hide things because like I'm really close to you know, I can easily take it upstairs or take it next door. So like it, yeah, it was it, it was easy to do that. That brings back just memories of doing things behind the parents' back. <laughs> I love that. So then you got to John D. O'Brien track team. John D. Bryant's a great school. Our previous guest was Ruben um, Senka, K-Rodian dude who's uh, who's an Olympian. He went to John D. O'Brien and he ran track there and then cross country. And he was telling me how, from an academic standpoint, it's an elevated public school education in the city of Boston. So how do you what you think of the education component? How how hard was it? Did you fit right in? So John D. O'Brien was. Absolutely. It's an exam school for sure. But from an education standpoint, I would say this, you know, it was okay in the sense that it was challenging, but it wasn't. When you got to college, you realize the deficits of BPS. So it was challenging. However, you know, you realize that when you're in, in class with other in college, you realize, okay, hey, you know, BPS has a lot of ways they can progress as far as bringing their students to be college ready. However, I was extremely grateful for the experience. Um, we were, you know, for the hand that we were dealt, we made the best of it. I would say that. While you were in high school and you were playing soccer, I was playing football and you were playing and you were running track. Did you have any thoughts of playing sports beyond high school? Did you end up playing in college? What were your thinking of like as you were going to college, would you think were you going to study? Like kind of what were your, your thinking of what you were going to do when you grew up? So that's exactly how, that's how physical therapy kind of came in play. So my junior year at O'Brien, I was playing football. And by, by the way, I was like 5'5". Five, five. So I, I was small as hell. Yeah, I was. What? <laughs> you are, I mean, you're, you're, you're big now. Like you're, you're, you know, you're tall and you're, you're pretty muscular. So I can't imagine you at 5'5", five, five, bro. Man. So like, yeah, that brings, it's crazy. So I was 5'5 five, five in high school and um, was playing football. And like literally because of my size, I was pretty limited. Um, but what I can do as far as, as far as getting that much playing time. But I, I, I will say that the folks that played with me during that time, they knew how much, even though I was 5'5", five, five, they knew how much heart I had in this little 5'5 five, five guy. Cause we had a big Barry um, the folks I went to OB, Barry was a, a huge, he was 6'5 in high school, probably like 230. And he was our running back. And literally everyone that was around my size would actually just get out the way. Like they'll, 
you know, they'll they'll just like if he's coming around and, you, and you're trying to tackle him, everybody just gets out the way, let him get his yards. And I would get run over, over and over and over and over again. Like I, I was his crash dummy. But there was this one big time that literally he was coming through and it's just me and him. And I literally rose up and like got him down. And that was a pivotal moment for me because like the entire team was like, listen, it was it, that moment just sticks out because even though I got ran over so many times, that one moment I got him down was like the best feeling in the world. That that was amazing. So I played football and I actually I broke my ankle in three places. I had a trimalleolar fracture and I was in a cast for pretty much eight months. That's kind of how I got. I had physical therapy in that process. So I had a brief sting of physical therapy and that's how I was exposed to the field. And it became an instant interest because I love sports and it was like a bridge. It was a bridge between sports and a career that I potentially had interest in. So it, that's that's when the, the light bulb sparked. And that was junior year or senior year in high school? Junior year in high school, yep. That's interesting. That's uh, because, I mean, at that age, I was, I remember getting physical therapy, but never thinking like, Ooh, I'm going to be a physical therapist. So there must've been some type of interest in the medical field. Did you have any, any, any interest in the medical field at that I, time where your parents pushing you to be a doctor at the time? Well, you're absolutely right. There's, there's definitely some, uh, some parental influence in that sense. Cause most Nigerians, you, you gotta be a doctor, lawyer, nurse, or an engineer. Those are the big things. And the reason why that actually is so prominent is because in Nigeria, literally, is education is your way out. So that's the reason why you see so many Nigerians extremely progressive because education is your only way out. So every parent is going to push for you to get educated. That's that's just the only way out in Nigeria. And and those fields are the only fields where you can potentially actually earn a good living for you and your family. So mm-hmm. that mindset transferred from Nigeria to America. It's now more recently that you see parents actually letting their kids play sports. And, you know, there's a lot more Nigerians entering the, the professional scene because parents are now understanding, okay, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to achieve family success or, you know, to generate wealth. And education is something that you can always, it's a lifelong thing. You can always educate yourself and you can find different avenues to educate yourself. You don't have to um, necessarily go in school to right out of right out of high school to to you know to put yourself in the best position. So I, I think that that model is starting to shift a little bit. I'm definitely starting to see more Nigerians doing other things, stand up comedy. Right, we have uh, the woman that's on Insecure. She talks a lot about growing up in a Nigerian household. How she was on HBO before her mom was like, okay. You can do something other than be a doctor. <laughs> she had to be on HBO before her mom was like, "You're good," you know. Right, right. So it's, it's it's so that that had a lot to do with it. So kind of to I know I kind of bounced off. So growing up, I did want to be in the medical field. Whether you know I wanted to be, I actually wanted to be a surgeon. My dad wanted me to be a a, a pharmacist because he mm-hmm. felt you know it was an easier track. It's it's less financial damage. But then when I hit him with I, that I want to be a physical therapist, he's like, huh? What is that? Like, what, 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 are, you, right. what are you talking about? And, and, and I really, you know, I did my due diligence. And, and, and to be honest, I'm grateful that 
you know, he allowed me to to pursue the, you know, the career, the, you know, the, the, the career path that I wanted, because as a result, I'm happy. You know what I do. I don't really feel like what I do is work because I really enjoy it. And, and it, it provides me a platform to to really educate people. And, 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 and it's amazing. So I'm really thankful for the process of actually allowing me to become a physical therapist, even though my parents did not really know. They didn't really know any physical therapists at the time, and they didn't really know what the career was about. In your household, how many older siblings do you have? I have three older sisters, and I have one younger sister. Okay, so your mom and dad had three other sisters that they could be like, you have to do this. <laughs> and then they got to you, they're like, okay, maybe you could do something different. Is that how it kind of plays? Because I, I feel like that's how it is with the older you are, the more responsibilities put on you. And then a little bit younger, then you, you get to, you know, make your own way. For sure. I mean, things were things were definitely challenging in the sense that I was the only boy. So like they also my dad also made sure that he he still had his staple on on the direction. And to be honest, I'm really thankful for for actually having that experience, because if it wasn't for my dad being around when I transitioned to you know, to the States, especially growing up in the hood, there's a lot of challenges that you have to navigate. And like my dad, my dad is a grown, is a grown Nigerian man, he doesn't really understand the intricacy of like growing up as a young man in the city of Boston. So he, he really couldn't guide me in that sense. And I had to seek other guidance around that. But for the most part, what was consistent was the discipline, the love and all of that. And I think that's kind of what ended up guided me through that process, that critical period, because I feel like between the age of 16 to to 20, to me, yes. to 25, is a critical period for a black man in the city, in, in, in any city in America. So I feel like that guidance during that period was very pivotal to me being who I am today. Absolutely, man. I say that all the time. You make one mistake between 16 and 22, 23, your whole life can be, can be changed. You, you could potentially have no future in this country, which is sad because we don't get many chances to make mistakes. And if you get tripped up at that age, and I always talk about that, I've had family that goes through it, I've watched it. And so I'm glad you, you touched upon that and, and that your experience is similar in that sense. You went to Sacred Heart University, right? Is that correct? That's correct, yep. So how'd you pick that school? Why'd you pick that school? Um, That's a pretty good school. Yeah, listen, it, it was so I did, a, you know, I applied to a bunch of schools. That's crazy that you asked that. So the reason why I picked Sacred Heart was high school, undergrad. I went to UMass Amherst as well. So prior to Sacred Heart, I went to UMass Amherst. What year? I graduated 06. Okay. So you're, yeah, okay. So I, I came to UMass in 05. So I graduated 06. I graduated with kinesiology degree with a, a minor in psychology. So what ended up happening where you left UMass Amherst and going to Sacred Heart? I picked Sacred Heart because while I was at UMass, I used to come back home to, to work and, and to hang out with friends in Boston. Like Boston was very, you know, I, I loved being home and I loved my friends and, and like, but even though there was a lot of like bad decisions being made in that process. So I picked Sacred Heart because Sacred Heart actually, I went through an experience at UMass and I'll, and I'll get to that in a second. But I picked Sacred Heart because it allowed me to actually distance myself a little bit. And some of the experiences I went through prior to that, I needed that to be able to succeed in PT school. Interesting. Okay. So now I want to hear about what happened at UMass. All right. So <laughs> my senior year, my senior year at UMass, 
once again, I was in the, ex in, in the kinesiology program and um, there was this class biomechanics. And I actually, the final for this class was 50% of your grade. And I actually failed this final. And as a result, I actually, I've, I had already applied for PT schools. I got into PT school. This is spring semester, senior year, literally. Mm -hmm. And I actually failed this class and I tried to get my professor to potentially give me extra credit, you know, whatever, just to, just to kind of get me through. And I, and when mm -hmm. I say I failed, I literally had, I think I had a, a 69 was my, was my actual grade and you needed a C minus to pass that class. And this one professor literally did not budge. He did not. He said, listen, I'm not, you have to come back the next spring to take this class. I'm not going to pass you. I'm not going to, no extra credit. The final is 50%. It is what it is. You got to come back. And to be honest, that moment in my life was probably a pivotal moment for me because prior to that, I knew how to apply myself enough to kind of get by. So I'll do a little bit and okay, I'm gonna get this B, I'm gonna get this A, let's get up out of here. Right? Yeah. And that class really changed my entire thought process. And it, and I think it was it was meant to happen because if I would have went into Sacred Heart with that same thought process I had as an undergrad, I probably wouldn't have made it. So I had to fail that class, come back the following spring to take that class again because it's only available in the spring. So I had to defer my application for an entire year. And, and, and that, and that yeah. lesson was, was huge because it changed my life. Hey, friends. I want to take a quick break to tell you about a project that I've been working on and I'm so excited to share with you. After a year and a half, of product research, design, and development, we are proud to finally launch Pioneer's Running Apparel, fusing high-performance fabrics with streetwear design aesthetics, creating a new category of athleisure wear called performance streetwear. We have selected the highest quality European performance fabrics, some of which are made of recycled industrial waste, such as discarded fishing nets. Head over to pioneers.com to learn more. That's P-Y-N-R-S com and now back to the show so what'd you do in the year that you that you had to defer well so yeah <laughs> so, so I, I i got a job i was working at home depot but i also got a job at john hancock working for a group long-term insurance that's kind of how it was a random job at the time but it taught me a lot about insurances and 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 what happens when you retire and, and how you kind of set yourself up. And, and, it, and it, it, you know, it really taught me how, how nasty the insurance game is. And then I'm, I'm guessing that helps in your career now in yeah. terms of like how you steer your patients and stuff. So then you took the year off, yep. you, then you came back to UMass spring yep. semester. Yep. We, we might've overlapped at UMass for a bit if you had come back because I was, I started fall of 05 and so. So you came back, you took that one class. Did you live on campus or are you back? No, you living I, like no I actually drove up. I drove up for that one class and, 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 and would go back when the class was done. So like, yeah, I stay with a friend, drive up, go back, drive up, go back the entire semester. So you completed that class and then you went to Sacred Heart. Yeah, I got an A in that class. 
you got an A in that. Sorry, I got a yeah. You got an A in that class. Yeah, so I came back and, and life was different. Got an A in that class. Yep. So what was different in the way that you applied yourself? Do you remember how like what changes you made to your habits? Because you said it was a pivotal time in your in your life, and I'm guessing the pivotal part of it was that you had to you had to defer a full year of school, work two jobs drive up to school two hours away, take this one class. So what kind of habits led to that? So yeah, that time really taught me preparation. Like you, you have to, you can't just, a lot of times I try to do things in my mind, but like you, you actually have to prepare and apply and, and, and really execute at a high level. And, and that's, that's when I think life taught me that lesson was, hey, you just can't just get up and try to wing this test. You can't just get up and try to think you, you not everything you can just get up and wing. And and that was a big moment. That was that was a big moment. That was a big moment. I definitely failed a class my senior year. A PT <laughs> class at that. Like a, a phys, not a physical therapist. Uh, uh, physical education. Yeah, physical education. Yeah. Or PE classes, sorry. Oh, man. It was literally, I missed one class. And yeah, so I have had that experience. So then you went to Sacred Heart. And that's for grad school? Yep, was it for grad school, I'm guessing? That's so, correct. Okay, so I, I hadn't known that. And how many years was that? Tell me about that experience. Now you're further away from home. How many years was that? How, how much did you apply yourself and, and all of that? It was three years, including summers, because we also did clinical rotations in the summers. So we would go out to different clinics during the summers to, to do a, either eight, 10-week, or 12-week clinical rotation. So it was three, three four years. I was actually the only person of color in my class out of, we started out as like 55 kids. I was the only person of color. We lost, I think about six or seven kids. I also graduated the only person of color as well, but it was, it was quite the experience. It was quite the experience. You know, you talk about things that you go through. I also went through uh, professors, some, some, some form of injustice and some form of like, profiling type, you know, you would say. I have one one story I'll just share really quickly. We we took an exam and myself and another uh, classmate did not write. We forgot to, to write our names on the exam and the professor automatically assumed that the lower grade, the person that failed was mine, even though like the, it was a written exam. So literally came to me and handed me the, 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 the exam with the person that failed. So I, I had, this is yours, here you go. Just naturally, casually, oh, this is yours. And I looked at the, the paper and I said, no, that's not mine, that's not my handwriting. And I, you know, here's my notebooks, here's my things to, to prove that. And it was amazing that he just automatically thought the failed grade was mine without doing his due diligence. And, and to kind of move forward from that, it was extremely challenging, especially being the only one there but you have to find a way to blend in. You have to find a way to, to, to really connect because PT school or just grad school in general, sometimes you really can't do it by yourself. Like you need, you need that collaborative approach. And um, we actually had a, our curriculum is called a problem-based learning curriculum in the sense that we had just to break it down, it's, it's not it's not like your typical class or your typical curriculum where you'll go into a classroom and you have teachers lecturing to you. What we do is we get a we get cases and scenarios, and literally we break down those scenarios and we 
we have tutorial sessions where you're in a group with seven people and you have to break up topics and present that topic to your group. And that's literally how you learn the material. Once you do that presentation with your tutorial group, we then have, you know, large group, which is where you go into class, but you only come to class to really ask teachers questions that you have based on the research and what you guys broke down as a group. So we don't have the, the natural process of teachers just lecturing to you. It was more like, okay, hey, we dissect things ourselves and then we'll bring the issues we have to teachers and then, and then they'll help solve it for us. And so it's really a group effort right. in how you're getting through school. Right. So you were the only person of color, not only the black man, but the only person of color. So you had an experience with a teacher who assumed that you were a bad student or, or had the lower grade. Did you have students who, who, who kind of put you in boxes and kind of had some predetermined thoughts of who you were? And, and did that like, did that, was that part of your experience in your group, group classes? Of course. And, and, and I'll also say going to Sacred Heart actually changed my life because um, prior to Sacred Heart, I was I wasn't really articulate. So I, I really wasn't able to like express myself. Through, I wasn't comfortable expressing myself. I, I would say that. But it really challenged me because literally every Tuesday and Thursday I was in this tutorial group with seven of my classmates and my classmates had to depend on me to present information to them. So it really forced me out of my comfort zone and I had to find the courage to really articulate things that needed to be, you know, shared with the group so they can learn that piece of the case so they can actually, um, you know, we all can progress in our curriculum. So it really, it really challenged me as a person because I, I don't really like to talk much mm -hmm. and it really forced me out of that little bubble of mine. And, and as a result, I think it's made me an excellent physical therapist because literally all you do every single day is talk to people. You have to explain it in simple terms too. For sure. For sure. So tell me, so after school, you graduated and then, and then what'd you do after? So I, I want to say this, I, I graduated. So prior to Sacred Heart having a doctorate program, um, it was a master's program. So I'm actually the first male of color with a doctorate degree at, uh, in physical therapy at Sacred Heart University. So af after that, one of my internships was actually at Bay State Physical Therapy in Weymouth. That's how I got with the company. I did one of my clinical internships there and, and literally was an awesome experience. And the managing partner at the time enjoyed what I brought to the table and enjoyed my skill sets and, and really liked how I, um, how I performed as a student. So we kept in contact, you know, we kept in contact. He was like reaching out during times when I was in school, finishing up and things like that. I also did some clinicals in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, and also one in Snellville, Georgia as well in Atlanta. But when I finished all of that, he still kept in contact with me. He said, listen, I opened up a location in Boston and it's at the Reggie Lewis. Are you interested in potentially working at the Reggie Lewis? I said, are you kidding me? Like I, I ran track. Yeah, it's, I, home. I, it's, it's home. Like it's, it's, it's down the street from, you know, my whole, my whole life. So I, I absolutely jumped on it. I had other offers. I, you know, I could have done traveling PT, which I was really into. I wanted to do that. I could have done, I could have done so many other things, but the opportunity to actually work and, and, and be a part of 
the community where I grew up in and, and like to, to be present in the area where I ran tracking and I really admired, I jumped on it. I jumped on it and, 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 and pretty much have been there since and kind of grew, grew through the ranks. So you're a partner now at three locations. That's correct. So how many years have you been there? What kind of treatment do you do? What kind of patients do you see? And I want to get into the walking group that you have. So talk me through kind of like when you started there to where you are now in physical therapy at, 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 at Bay State. I have been employed through Bay State for uh, over 10 years at this point. I graduated mm -hmm. in 2010 and that was my first job, even though I had other jobs as well. Um, but that was my first job and I've been with them since. Initially, we started out at the Reggie Lewis. We were at the Reggie Lewis for at least five years until Roxbury Community College actually manages the Reggie Lewis. And they told us that they don't really want any outside vendors in the facility. So luckily for us, we, we also had another clinic in, inside of Whitty Street Health Center. So we were able to transition everything over. Um, but I really enjoyed being mm -hmm. in the Reggie Lewis because it it provided me space. I actually I actually ran my first year out, I actually ran a program for John D. O'Brien at Madison Kid at Madison Park High School, um, their football program. I did a pre a preseason conditioning training program that lasted three months inside the Reggie Lewis where I brought whether it's the J V and the varsity kids, the ones that wanted to participate. And I actually had, we have fundamental sessions where we actually taught them how to, you know, the basic training skills and, and how to hold a football and, and how to, you know, how to build and endurance adequately and, and, and show them, you know, do a proper evaluation and, and, and break down individual deficits and how to get stronger in, in specific areas for, for the kids. A really cool thing about it is that that season John D. O'Brien actually went ahead and went to went to their state championship for, for that season. It was really amazing because the kids were pretty much in shape and, and, and obviously playing in BPS myself, we never really had anything like that. So um, I was able to fortunately, I was mm -hmm. fortunately able to gather a few of my guy friends that, you know, were playing at the time and, and collaboratively, we were able to provide a, a, a really nice program for the kids and they were able to um to succeed at a high level and it's it's something that i still think the city absolutely needs it just it's going to take mm -hmm. a lot of like resources and coordination to really kind of keep that going at a high level but it was something that i did and it was it was really awesome at the time and what I, when i think of that i think of three months of kids not being on the street in the summertime not getting in trouble and actually applying themselves to something that that makes them just better in general, kids develop personality, team, like that, that being a team, uh, and then also just being stronger, getting stronger and learning about your body. And man, that sounds like it had so much impact. And beyond that, they went to the state champions. That's cool too. But like the fact that you got these kids off the streets is what's important. It is what I see because I know that's the time. It, it gets hot. It gets hot in the city in the summertime. That's where kids get. You know, that's when kids are shooting each other right. at, at the highest rate. So right. that's really dope, man. And it's definitely something that I talk about this a lot on the show about how the city of Boston is failing its kids. It's failing its students because we don't have structured programs. We give our, we lease our land to Northeastern and they're taking it and not 
including us. Right. Right. Like half of half of Northeastern used to be the South End, big black community. They take it over and they're taking space and not helping develop and and helping kind of keep our kids safe and off the streets. And there and there's no space for us to go, whether unless someone like you decides to give your free time and, and to do it. And so the onus is always on us to save us when we're not the one like creating the the the, the situations that that we need to be saved from. So I commend you for that. That's really dope. No, listen, I, listen, I, I appreciate it. And I think that a lot of, you know, it, unfortunately, it does have to be us. We have to figure out ways to to tap into the next generation and, and to provide something of value because it, it's hard. It's hard for us to see that change that we want. We have to be that change. You have to reach out to your neighbor and you have to communicate with that with that young black man that that's that's down the street from you. That's the only way we can really have that impact. The system can't do it for us. Northeastern and and these other folks that are coming in taking over, they're not going to do it for us. So we we have to be able to to kind of reach and grab at whatever level we can. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. And part of what we're doing, you're doing and what I'm doing through ownership and representation is, is kind of the answer. So to, I want to get into ownership. Like you're a partner at three at three of these places. They're 4%, you had mentioned earlier, 4% of physical therapists are people of color or men of color? Or what is it? Um, it's, uh, it's people of color. And then when you black. say men, it's actually probably a lot less because physical therapy is actually a, a woman-dominated field, which is fine. So like when you think about male physical therapists, it's pretty slim. I actually know three. I only know three, and I actually have one working for me. But I only know three in the entire Massachusetts. And when we have um, wow. <laughs> uh, our APTA, which is American Physical Therapy Association meetings in Massachusetts, literally, it's, you know, we stick out. Yeah. As men and then as men of color, it's probably like even even less. So how would you become a partner? So how do you go from one location to multiple locations? <clears throat> so I became a partner by literally just like, it was more of a mindset thing for me. Um, like I said to you, being in, being in working in Roxbury to me was it was a start for me in the sense that I felt a sense of ownership already, even though I was just a regular employee, because I was providing care to my people. Um, I enjoyed what I was doing. I was able to to talk to the next track kid that came in, Reggie Lewis. So I, I already had that sense of ownership. And prior to me coming to that location. I later found out that the owners were telling me that that location actually was not doing so well financially. But my presence there actually revived that location. And they were asking me, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And that's kind of what piqued my interest into be, being a, um, a managing partner. So I literally just applied myself and, and kept, you know, kept really caring about the people and providing value to the people. And as a result, that grew the business and they were able to see that. And then, uh, you know, I, I learned about how to become a partner and I invested in, and became a partner. Just from thinking and listening to you, you revived that location because you look like the kids that were coming in. You look like the people you were serving and you probably connected to them more and they were more comfortable seeing you. And so, you know, I think that, that representation and just that, that piece of, 
connecting with folks on an individual level is, is probably what, what led to that. So that's really cool to hear. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a project that I've been working on and I'm so excited to share with you. After a year and a half of product research, design, and development, we are proud to finally launch Pioneer's Running Apparel, fusing high-performance fabrics with streetwear design aesthetics, creating a new category of athleisure wear called performance streetwear. Head over to pioneers.com to learn more. That's P-Y-N-R-S.com. And now, back to the show. What kind of patients do you see? What kind of injuries do you, I guess, service? Or uh, I don't know what the right term is for that. And what age levels? And I know you have a walking group of older, of older, of older folks. Yeah. So I want to talk about all that. For sure. Um, so we actually treat pretty much from age six to a hundred. Um, so in physical therapy, I, I want to, I want to just clarify. A lot of folks ask what's the difference between physical therapy and chiropractic services, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks don't really know the difference. And I, and I want to, to, to really clarify that. So physical therapists are basically movement specialists. Anything that involves movement for the most part, we, you know, we're, we're the go-to people for that. Chiropractors are spine specialists. So anything that involves the spine, that's where they're skill set is is the strongest so they're spine specialists and we're movement specialists um, a research was actually done a few years back and it was basically collaborating all the all the health fields regarding you know knowledge of the body and after orthopedic surgeons the next level up is actually physical therapists as far as like knowing the body and knowing how to address the body adequately so that's the reason why I to, to create that that specification, you know, physical therapist. So when you're thinking about the entire body as a whole, you should see a physical therapist. When you think about the spine, you should um you should see a chiropractor. Even though some physical therapists, even though we do deal with spine, chiropractors are that's their that's their niche. So you, you treat kids from six to 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 adults age one hundred. Yep. Where, where do you, do you have an age group that you enjoy working with more? I actually, so I, I actually enjoy the entire scope because it pulls out different levels of my care. So when I work with geriatrics, I love working with older folks, the geriatric population. I love them. I, I love the wisdom and I love, I love how I'm able to change their mindset on, on healthy living, on, on, on the importance of actual movement and and taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. but i also love the younger population because it i bring out the sports the 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 athletic mindset and 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 also to the the competitive mindset when dealing with the younger population as well so i really enjoy the entire scope because i find inspiration in in the level of where the patient is. And I'm able to tap into different sources that I have within myself to be able to um, execute and, and to get them to to be their best self. Man, that's really cool to listen to because you really are dealing with individuals and you're learning from them and you're applying whatever you're learning from them to the work that you're doing. And you're, lo- you're using it to inspire them. You're using them to give them a better outlook on what is not only available, but what could be, right? Like. 
in these kids you're giving them this outlook of like the competitiveness and then for the older folks you're, you're teaching them how like you said to live a better lifestyle or to to think of different ways to live and so that's really cool man so i mean the one thing i do want to um just to highlight really quickly is that us as people of color there's a lot of different challenges so for example in nigeria exercising is just a natural way of life or i would just say in in you know in any different country you know in any country exercising is just a way of life so you got to walk to the market you got to walk and you, there's so much physical activity involved in just living in other parts of the world when you come here sometimes there's a lot of convenience and it takes away from that natural physical process so when you're trying to talk to people regarding how they exercise they're not really understanding the why i'm not sure if i'm expressing this correctly but like no you are no you you are you you know when you're back home you know every time you got to go to the market or you're, you're going to your neighbor you're walking to your neighbor's house you're do you're exercising you're, you're exercising but you don't really know it and here because of the conveniences you know you're driving more you're you know you're sitting at the job more like you know you lose that ability to move so i want folks to start to to think about exercise a little bit differently it, it shouldn't don't think of it as exercise just think of it as movement like you your body needs movement to be efficient your body needs movement to be healthy and as people of color we're not moving enough and that's why your running program and your your, your running platform and education is so huge because we have to be able to go back generations to really to really amplify and make movement normal whether it's running walking um folks really need to understand that you know for those i'm gonna just use a quick metaphor for those that have pets everyone that have pets when you you know when your dog or your cat first wake up in the morning what do they do they stretch every dog and cat stretches every before they do anything else they're gonna stretch they're gonna stretch it out right but us as people yeah. who does it no one does we don't so even animals understand the fundamental aspects of movement and and priming movement and us as people like we 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 take it for granted until we actually lose the ability to do so now we're searching on how we can actually improve that let's normalize movement yes sir i love that yes, and i do see that because I, we we live in a city we, we live a couple blocks from each other we see each other in the park and stuff but growing up in dorchester like you get made fun of for riding the bus you get made fun of for taking the train if you don't have a car you get made fun of and then now growing up i see that a lot of my friends when we're like oh let's go do something they want to drive and it's like let's just walk or let's just bike or let's just run but like that's not normal like people we live in a city that is accessible to the train to the bus by foot and we still people love to drive everywhere and so when you talk about normalizing movement i think you're spot on about that because people are like why are you walking that's crazy yeah why are you biking that's crazy yeah. it's like no it's not it's normal i like to feel good i like to move and so man you're you're sparking you're sparking your enemy and um and, and thinking of ways to like normalize it so add on to that one of the best dates i actually had was um my wife told me let's actually walk 
to the Dorchester Brewery. And literally, we walked from, you know where we live. So we, we walked from our house to the yeah, Dorchester yeah. Brewery. And that's actually one of my favorite dates that I've had with my wife. Like, it, it, it's as crazy as that sounds. Just walking there and walking back was, was awesome. And it's not even that far. It's like, it's right there. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. I know what you mean, man. I try to get my wife to walk with me. She does. You know, we I push her out of her comfort zone a lot. She runs a little bit. Walk, but um, I love to walk. I literally just, I'll go out and walk because it jogs my mind. It keeps me, I don't know, movement in general. Let's just keep it there. Movement. So I love the way you're thinking about movement. Talk to me about the walking group because I've been I've been wanting to to figure out a way to incorporate older folks into Pioneers Run Crew or even just like touching and, and, and inspiring older folk to move. Tell me about what you're doing with that. Awesome. So the walking program came about, we've been doing it for six, six years and some change now. And it came about because okay. literally the life expectancy in Roxbury versus Back Bay is a 30 year difference. And to me, that's that's mind blowing. There's there's a lot of different things that that obviously that we know goes into that. Obviously, there's some you know there's 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 uh, you know socioeconomic issues that go into that. There's 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 financial issues that go into that. But the one part that I wanted us to really highlight is just there are things that are outside of our control, but we we can focus on the things that we can actually control. And your health is something that you potentially have a great deal of control. You can control what you eat. You can control what you choose to buy. You can control whether you go for a walk or not. And creating that walking program is, is, is a way to, to get people active, to get people moving in the community, and to hopefully bridge that gap between that life expectancy rate. But most importantly, using that platform to also educate people on different wellness tips and different health strategies to really help improve the community. It was a way for us to, to reach out to the community that are not necessarily coming to see us in the clinic. Or waiting too long to come see you, waiting until it's, they're losing that movement to come see you, right? Man, that's really cool, man. That's inspiring. I, I, I want to be a part of it. I want to to figure out a way to to add on to it, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm sure we will. <laughs> and, and, and another, you know, another thing that's neat, too, is walk in Boston is completely different from driving around Boston. So like a lot of the folks in our walking program, it's amazing how they say, wow, I've never really actually seen this part of Boston and I've been here my whole life. So we choose different destinations to walk each week. It's amazing how much folks don't really realize, wow, this park was, you know, is here. Like the, you know, the the mm -hmm. the Fitzgerald Park in over by Missions is, is there, or just the different parks around and the different artwork and how beautiful certain areas of the city is. And like walking really highlights that. And 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 what's amazing is that I had one participant that was actually diabetic on meds, um, taking insulin and metformin, and literally at the end of the eight-week program, she visited her doctor and she was basically able to uh, manage her diabetes with just exercise moving forward. It's amazing how something so small can make such a huge impact when people do it consistently. That's awesome, man. That's really cool to hear. 
So it's an eight-week program. And do you advance and get long as you go through the program? You walk more, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so we do walk more, but we just make the courses a little bit more challenging. So, for example, we'll choose paths that have hills. So we, we gradually progress the intensity. So it's usually an hour. So we try to start at six usually, and we try to end at seven. And we usually start at the same place in front of Whitty Street Health Center, and we circle or we end our way back at the Whitty Street Health Center as well. So it's only an hour. There's not much, you know, it, it's hard to cover significant distance in that time group, in that time frame, mm -hmm. but we're still able to, uh, to, to be effective. One last question that I'm interested yeah. in. Do you have any interest, want, feel, need to go and live in Nigeria with your family or to experience Nigeria as like a homeland? Wow. It's a great question, man. <laughs> to be honest, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to. So even in the field that I'm in right now and in Nigeria, physical therapy is not as valued um, in Nigeria. And I think that that's something that I would love to bring to Nigeria. And just in general, I do feel that work-life balance in America is really challenging. And I feel that other countries do provide a... Because a, what's the goal? The, the goal is the goal is to 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 live a good quality life with your loved ones. That's that's the goal, and, and to to have more time with your loved ones. That's that's the goal, and you really have to assess different ways to do that. And I think that the idea of potentially living in Nigeria and, and you know that that will provide that work life balance. They, you know, the work life balance there is just more favorable. I, I would say that. I would say mm -hmm. that. Don't get me wrong. I, listen, I love, you know, America is great. It's great. But, you know, the, the best thing that we've experienced with COVID is actually being able to spend time with your family, being able to, to, to kind of reconnect and like really get all the moments with your family. That, that's, that's the beauty of COVID. Yes, there's a lot of negative things that happen with COVID, but let's, let's talk about the actual beauty and, and the things that we've learned from COVID, how, you know, jobs can be done remotely. You know, you can spend more time with your family. Mm -hmm. So these are like the beauty. And so I'm looking forward to how things change in the future. Um, but I think that what happened is actually necessary for us to see that we need to value more, more time with our loved ones. I love that. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much, man. This has been a pleasure. Really dope learning about your experiences and your journey and, and I uh, love all the work you're doing. So thank you for joining me here. Listen, brother, thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm so proud of you. Continue what you're doing. You're the people's champ. So keep doing your thing, man. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you. And I'll see you on the next episode.